John Moran at the top of Memphis's draft board here at 21, I'm told, Gonzaga's Brandon Clark. The Memphis Grizzlies select Jaron Jackson Jr. Bridge makes game, you hear me? Hello, everyone, and welcome into another episode of the Next Gen Podcast here on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. Today, we got a very special guest, my guy, Garrett Sherman. Most of y'all probably know him as Burner Jaw on Twitter, uh, one of the best Twitter accounts to follow on Grizzlies Twitter, and one of the people that I've actually interacted with really since like my first day on Grizzlies Twitter, I feel like we've been talking uh, for like the last three, four years. Uh, so really, really great follow, really great guy. Garrett, how you doing today, man? Doing great. Yeah, yeah. We go way back on Twitter. <laughs> way back, back to... back Before Jaw Days, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> no, definitely before Jaw Days. Like, in into the grit and grind era days, for yeah. sure. Because I, I, remember, I remember talking to you when they actually... I think when they won the lottery, and then when they... Or not, well... I say won the lottery. I guess they didn't technically win the lottery, but it feels like they did. Yeah, they basically uh, won the lottery. <laughs> yeah, basically won the lottery compared to what they were supposed to get. Uh, and then when he got drafted and all that. So I'm pretty sure we go further back than that. Uh, yeah. But this is actually a good time to have you on the pod because the Grizzlies have actually been having their best stretch of the season. Uh, Four-game win streak wins over the 76ers, the Pistons and the Thunder, and then the Heat game where basically nobody played. It was like the Summer League Grizzlies plus Dylan Brooks and Steven Adams. <laughs> and then you just go out, oh, just beat a team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals uh, mm-hmm. last year. So a lot of good stuff to look for uh, over the last four games. Uh, I would say the number one thing that I've been talking about is like the Grizzlies depth. And like that, that's the conversation everybody had. That was actually the, the title of the one last week was why the Grizzlies depth isn't a concern yet. And then they go on a four game winning streak. I'm not saying that I like predicted anything. Uh, oh, okay. But <laughs> not necessarily. I predicted it, but I was like a lot of the depth pieces have been looking well, but if there's anything uh, that you've really seen over these last four games that uh, you've been excited about and that you think is going to be a good trend for the rest of the season too. You know, actually, I'm a little bit surprised they've been doing so well. I was, li- I wasn't really worried so much, is because I knew we were injured and I knew that they would all come back eventually. Um, so I wasn't really worried. A lot of people were worried that you know we were our death wasn't great or we, whatever our bench wasn't great. But I knew as soon as Zaire would come back, it would fix the rotations. I mean, as soon as Bain comes back, it slides down Conchar to the bench. So I, I haven't been worried. I'm actually been really impressed that even though they've been um, without a lot of their depth. Um, they've still been winning games. That's what's really been impressive to me. Yeah, definitely. And then, like, a lot of guys have stepped up, uh, Santi Aldama and, like, John Contra being in a bigger role. How uh, impressive but... has Santi been, man? No, yeah, it's it's actually crazy because, like, that was the big thing coming into the season is Jaron's going to be out, and mm-hmm. then Jaron comes back, and not only does he not lose a step, he looks like a better player than he did when he left. Yep. So it's almost like when you take all that into account, I think you got to be pretty happy. Uh, but the biggest story was the one that happened last night. It was the return of Zaire Williams after missing a lot of time with that uh, patellar tendonitis. Uh, it, it was kind of shaky there for a little bit. I was worried about how long he was going to be out because we didn't really hear a lot of updates. And then all of a sudden he was doubtful and then he played the next game. So it's, it's, it's interesting how they do that. I think they're really weird about injuries sometimes, but I'm just glad that he went back on the floor and definitely still a little bit of rust, 
but he looks healthy. I think that's the biggest mm-hmm. thing because he he looks like he was back to 100%, even though he still probably needs just some games. It's, you can't just hop back into NBA basketball and play like nothing happened over the last two or three months, basically. Uh, but I think I think he looks pretty well. Yeah, I mean, with the Grizzlies in general, you, it's literally impossible to try to predict what the injury situation is going to be because, like, when Jaron was injured for, like, what, seven months straight or something like that, we thought he was going to come back like three months before you, before you ever did. And then this time Jaron comes back like six months before we thought he would come back. So it's, it's pretty much impossible to, to figure that out. But yeah, no, Zaire is showing back up. And I think as the game went on, he didn't really hit any threes or anything, but I think as the game went on, he just, he started getting, making his cuts again and um, being in the right spots, playing really good defense on the wing. Um, there was, I think there was a, a possession or two where him and Jaron were just swatting everything and, and just keep, keeping guys out of the paint. And that was, that was pretty fun to see. Yeah, no, I think that's the biggest thing for him is going to be his defense because I think, I mean, the Grizzlies, as much as they have had these injuries, they are prob- they haven't had problems scoring the ball even without all the injuries. Most of the mm-hmm. problems have come on the defensive end. So I think that's something where even though Zaire did look a little bit off on offense, uh, he did end up scoring some late baskets, had a really nice finish near the end of the game. Uh, but the big thing for him is I saw the the fruits of that the playmaking that he did in the summer mm-hmm. league. Uh, having those three assists had a really nice like bounce pass to assist. It was it was it, he looks a lot better than he did last year. Yeah. Just looks more comfortable with the ball yeah. in his head. I don't remember seeing anybody talking about it, but I'm but I noticed that he was going to the rim with purpose more this, to this game. Like he was there was at one point he missed the dunk, but he got the ball, did a power dribble, and tried to just, just yam it on like three people. And what that wasn't something he was doing last year. Last year he was really scared to take contact or try to go to the basket very hard. Besides alley oops, but no, he was. He looked a lot more aggressive for the basket. Um, the playmaking was there. Defense, of course. I mean, last year he was on Steph Curry in the playoffs. So yeah, um, I'm excited to have the defense back. And, and then I guess last night we moved back into top ten in defense. So there you go. <laughs> oh, exactly. Back back in the top ten when after I think the first week of the season they were like 26th. Yeah, we did that last so, year too. We were really bad yep. on defense for the first like month. Yeah, well, I would say this this year it's partly because Jaron was out. Yeah, and then. Well, like I said, it was the first week of the season, and that, and those first three games, there was no Jaron and no Dylan Brooks. Mm. So I think that did bring it down a little bit. And now we're starting to see them kind of settle in. I mean, obviously, they're on a four-game winning streak. But it's one of those things, because when you look at last season, it's really weird like how similar the season has gone. Now, they are – I think there are a few games better than they were at this point last yeah. year because they, they – they haven't been under 500 at all this year. Yeah, that's that's been the big difference because they they got they were at nine and ten at one point last year before they had that big jump. But I think it's it's, it's just been awesome to kind of see them battle through these injuries. Uh, I mean, it's just something we've seen over the last couple of years, and I think <laughs> it's crazy to think that they're still fifteen and nine and all this, and they <laughs> they haven't had their top three guys for the entire mm-hmm. season. I don't, I don't think know we've if had there's a, much ever. <laughs> it, yeah, it feels like we never have the top three guys, or at least a full starting five. And I think that's the big thing is just I I'm I'm gonna keep saying it. If you listen, if you listen to the podcast, you know I've been saying this the entire year is that when the full grizzly starting five is back on the court together, the rest of the NBA is gonna need to be worried. No, we haven't hit our we we hit that big jump last year. We we haven't hit our big jump this year yet. Like we're we're doing better now than we were at this point last year by a lot. And we still haven't hit our big jump yet. We're gonna if we hit our big jump, we win sixty games this year. Sixty games. I see. If we get healthy, if we get healthy, sixty games. I think sixty games is a lot. 
I don't know if I'm if I'll necessarily say that, but I do think they're in an incredible position to at least be the to be the one seed. Now yeah. I don't know if that'll necessarily be sixty games. I don't think I don't think you're gonna need to get to sixty games to be the one seed in the West. No, not this, this year. <laughs> just based on the way it looks. I mean, just looking at everything that's been going on. Uh so but I mean I think that I think that the franchise record and wins could definitely be be a question again this year. I don't know if they'll necessarily hit it, but it definitely could be a question. Yeah. Let me let me bring it back a little bit. If Desmond Payne was here and not out for another month, maybe we win sixty games. But you know, it is it's gonna be kinda hard to do that with Bain out for another month. Yeah, that 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 was the sad news. Like you get Zaire back and it feels like okay, they're one step closer and then you hear Bain is gonna be out another three to four weeks with that toe injury. Uh but I will say as much as it does, it's it's not good that you, ever to see him go down. I will say that they've started to adjust to playing without him a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think that that's what we've seen over the last couple of games, like with this winning streak. And I think that the addition of Zaire, and once he kind of gets back to form, he's he's not he's not at Bain's level yet, especially not on offense. But I think he's a guy that you could put in the starting lineup and try to see if he can kind of help a little bit more in terms of like ball handling and off ball stuff, because I think that's the big thing that without Bain, I think something that's been really underrated about him has been his playmaking when he was in the game, he was up to averaging like five assists a game and stuff. Mm-hmm. And ever since he's been out, it feels like a lot more of that playmaking ability has been forced on the job, which I mean, obviously he's a great passer and everything, but uh, he's had to, he, he's had to take over, more and more, I feel like, and he's had to have the ball in his hand more than it was Bane. Bane was on the court, so I think that having Zaire out there will help a little bit with that. Just because I think, I mean, they did they did the same thing with Zaire that they did to Desmond Bane. They sent him to the summer league when he was probably a little bit too good to play in it mm-hmm. in order to get better. Yeah, you know what also would help Ja with the um help having the ball too much is maybe give the ball to Jaren occasionally. <laughs> Jaren had, I think, like nine shots last night. There's no way he should be taking less than, like, I don't know, 15 shots a game. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And, I mean, I think I think the thing with Jaren is they're going to have to learn how to find him inside more mm-hmm. because there are times where he guys guy seals uh, in the paint and he's posted up on guys that are way smaller than him. And I, I think he's done a lot better at attacking those mismatches this year. But I think they need to continue to look for him. And I would say it's not necessarily just Ja. I think it's more like – in the second unit, when he when Jaron is playing with the second unit, he should touch the ball on every possession. Yeah, like that's the way the I point. look at it. And I, I think, agree. and I think you saw that in the fourth quarter of that Thunder game mm-hmm. at the beginning of that fourth quarter when he was in the game, Ja was out of the game, and he he had only had five points the whole game, and then he scored I think seven in a row, uh, yeah. real quick. He hit a three, uh, took two guys off the dribble, uh, had a couple blocks. Uh, that's another thing I, we got to talk about. The fact that Jaron Jackson Jr. is already top twenty in total blocks nine in nine games, uh, and if if he qualified, he would be leading the league in blocks right now with over three point one. So it's just like his defense coming back has just been insane for this team. And I think, like you said, they're back in top ten in defense. The the correlation between them getting back to top ten in defense. And then Jaron Jackson Jr. coming back. I guarantee you that if you look at it, every every single game Jaron Jackson Jr. has been back, they have continued to climb up those defensive mm-hmm. rankings. I I listened to a, a podcast earlier today that, that mentioned that Jaron Jackson Jr. was holding opponents to forty four percent at the rim when he's in the game. That is 
like beyond any Gobert season ever. <laughs> that is insane. Yeah. Nah, that's that's the type of stuff where if you can keep that up for a full season, that's how that's how you get to sixty wins. Yeah. Like that that's how you actually get to stuff like that. That's how you because, win defensive player of the year. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I mean he only missed 14 games, and I think that's the big thing. If he stays healthy the rest of the season, uh, I mean, I know that he has rested a couple games since then and stuff like that too, but if he can just stay healthy for the rest of the season, I think he'll still have a good chance uh, because, I mean, there's always the guys like every year, like Giannis is always going to be in the conversation. You know, Marcus Smart won it last year, and the Celtics have been awesome. And then, uh, I mean, Rudy Gobert, probably not going to get it this year. The Timberwolves haven't been as good. Uh, but there's always guys that are always in that conversation. But I think that this year, especially since he's he, he's lowered the fouling a lot. And oh, I think that's – I think that's um, – I would honestly say that's the biggest difference. Like, you can point to the he's more he's he's more aggressive on offense. That's a big thing. You can point to the fact that he's been a little bit better at rebounding. Both of those are big things. But the number one problem for Jaron Jackson Jr. was that he got taken off the court too much because of his fouls. And this season, I, like he's he's had a couple games where he's been in foul trouble. I know that at the end of that Philly game, he had five. Uh, but, I mean, he still ended up getting that block on Joel Embiid at the end of the game. Uh, but it's one of those things where it's, it's, he's not missing time in the first quarter anymore. Yeah. It's like when he when he got that fifth foul, it was already the fourth quarter. It's not like you're getting two fouls in the first quarter, coming back in, getting another foul. Because that's how it was at times last year. It would be like in the first half, Jaron played five minutes. And yeah. it's stuff like that. that <laughs> two fouls, five minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like that hasn't happened yet. And he, he, he'll, he'll, he might have two fouls, but if he has two fouls, it's not in the first quarter. He can at least make it to halftime. And if he has four fouls, he doesn't get that fourth foul into the fourth quarter. And it's just all that little, all those little things, like not hitting, not getting over that threshold and like kind of staying on track. Because obviously when you're a guy like him that attacks, well, guys are going to attack you at the rim. He's going to, he always goes for blocks, stuff like that. I'm okay with those fouls. Like I'm okay with the foul of I'm contesting somebody at the rim. Uh, I think the biggest thing for him is he's cut down on those away from the play fouls frustration fouls mm-hmm. and specifically offensive fouls too. Yeah. You know, I think it's a lot a lot to do with he's not as clumsy on both ends as he used to be. Like you know, when he was the first couple of years in the league, he would drive to the basket or he'd do something, he'd kinda like lose his footing or fall over or run into somebody, not really kind of playing haphazardly on both ends. I mean he'd go for block when he doesn't need to and then foul somebody or he a guy's running around the perimeter, he just grabs him for no reason. Um I think he's just a little bit more mature and a little bit more um I guess he's kind of grew into his body a little more. He like a little has a little more control over because it, it feels like, feels like he's just more fluid in his movements, offense, defense. He's smarter. He's thinking more instead of going for blocks every time. It's um, it's, it seems like it's all coming together for him. Yeah, for sure. Because I remember like on media media day, that's something that he said. Uh, he said he he watched a lot of film over the off season, especially when he couldn't do a lot of on the court work. And he was mostly just probably doing arm workouts and stuff yeah. like that because he couldn't be on his legs that much. But one thing that he did a lot was watch film and see where can I rotate better? Can I rotate earlier so I'm not in a position to foul? And like, what can I do on offense to get to my spots without, you know, barreling over somebody and stuff like that? And I do think it is a big thing of him kind of growing into his body, too, because I always say the thing that like not to say that Jaron is going to become Giannis, but when you look at Giannis, it took him some time to get to the point 
to where he was fully grown into his body. He had gained that muscle mass and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I think you can kind of see that with Jaron. I mean, he's way bigger than he was when he first got to Memphis. That's not even oh, a yeah. question. It's like, d- dude is an absolute unit now. He was he was one of those kind of like, m- when he got to the league, he I would say he was like skinny. He was like, like not necessarily like KD skinny or anything <laughs> like that, but like he, he did not. He was AD skinny. Yeah, young AD. I would say it was kind of similar to that. Uh, he didn't have the offensive polished offensive game like AD did when he first came out of college or anything like that, though. Yeah. Uh, but just like body type, I, I could definitely see it. And I think that you can see like he's bigger than he was. Uh, I would say he's I don't it seems like he's faster. And if he's not faster, I think he's like you said, more fluid or mm-hmm. he just I feel like he is also taking that one extra step before he takes off. And I think that's something that Pete and Brevin always talk about uh, his first couple years is like, if you take one more dribble and you're just a little bit closer to the basket, when you take off, it makes all the difference. And I think I'll go back to like that New York game when he just took it straight over Obi Toppin and stuff like yep. that. It was like, stu- he, he wasn't doing that kind of stuff before. It's almost like not, not to say that he realized he was seven one, but that's what it feels like. Sometimes it's like in the off season, somebody told him like, Hey man, it like most of these guys that are guarding you cannot hold you. They're either too small or they're too slow. And he has just been abusing mismatches the entire time this year. Yeah. I know we've talked about Jaron for a while, but I'll bring up one more thing that I, I noticed this year too. And I, it was a lot last year. He didn't really dunk the ball a lot last year. He didn't really try to impose himself around the basket that much. He kind of tried to be finesse and he wasn't too good at it. But this year he's, he's done a lot. You know, I think it was a few games ago. He ran down the court, and I mean almost from the free throw line, just took off and tried to yam it on somebody. And I don't remember who it was, but he missed the dunk. But he he reached the he reached out and, and could have done it. And that's something he was not doing last year. And I think maybe my theory is as someone who's had a lot of sports injuries and you come back and you're a little bit more scared to be aggressive because you're afraid it'll happen again. I wonder if his injury last year made him a little more timid and he kind of had to get over that because this year he's so much more aggressive. And it looks like he's not even worried about getting hurt at the rim. Like he's worried about hurting them. He's not worried about, you know, injury or, or being finesse. He just kind of goes in there and imposes himself. He's seven one. He's two fifty. Yeah, for sure. And I, before we move on, because uh, I do want to talk about Ja a little bit just because of the history kind of stuff he did uh, last night. But I think that that's another thing I always hear is when it comes to knee injuries, there's a lot of times where it's really the second year after you get back is when you really feel like you're back to 100%. Now, I know that he also had another off-season foot injury, but I feel like that's one of those injuries where it's like you had, like he had the surgery, it's healed, and it's good now. It's yeah. not something where, like, obviously there's probably still some pain and stuff that he's had to go through, but it's not something I think is going to be kind of lingering. I think once it's healed, it's healed, whereas knees, I feel like, are a little bit more volatile. So yeah, joints are tough, man. Yeah, so, so, so it's tough when it gets to injuries like that. Uh, but I did want to talk about before we kind of get to the end of this, talking about Ja being the new triple double leader. It's kind of crazy when you look at some of the records he already has. I put it on Twitter earlier today. He has the most points in the game, most points in the playoff game, most triple doubles, uh, most points per game in a season. He already has all those franchise records. And when you look at it, I think he's got the record. The record book of the Grizzlies is going to look a lot like. It's, there's going to be a lot of Ja Morant in the record book by the end of this <laughs> next contract. Because I'm just thinking about it. He like he's locked up for the next this season and in the next five years after that. And I'm just thinking, I mean, we're only in year four right now. 
by the time he we hit the end of that second contract, the record book is going to be the John Morant book. It's going to look like every time they pull up a stat, you know, and it shows Will Chamberlain has the most or whatever in this category. It's going to be like that for the Grizzlies. Every time you look at a Grizzly stat, it's going to be Jaw has the most in every category. Yeah, besides three pointers, because I think that's probably going to be Desmond Bain. Uh, but, you're right. You're right. But but every other category points, uh, assists, maybe not rebounds, but I mean the way he's been rebounding. I mean he had seven rebounds in the first quarter <laughs> of the, of the last game too, which was kind of, like how many six two point guards? Did... It's it's just like stuff like that. A six two point guard getting seven rebounds in the in the he first. Finished qu- with, I think what, first 13? quarter. Thirteen. Yeah, he finished with thirteen boards. And Good Lord. Yeah, and then you you go back like the assist, eleven assist. I think that's another thing that we can talk about is how he's even in this stretch when Desmond Bain hasn't been playing. I think he's focused a lot more on his playmaking and kind of getting the other guys involved. And I think the reason is because he knows that he's not going to be able to just do it by himself the entire game. And I think he has to get guys like John Conchar and Brandon Clark when they're on the court with him, uh, and even Dylan Brooks, who uh, that's another guy that I think we should talk about before we end this pod. Oh, I agree. Uh, how, yeah, how he's been playing. Uh, but I think he knows that he has to get those other guys involved so that at the end of the game, he'll either have enough energy to close the game itself, himself or those guys will have enough confidence to help him in scoring at the end of the game. I think he does it because Charles Barkley. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, that okay. Nah, that was funny. <laughs> I think he, for a while he did it because of Charles Barkley, but yeah, no, he definitely, he definitely is looking to get his teammates involved. I mean, like, uh, how good was Clark last night? Because of all the, there's so many good things. Yeah, no, Clark, Brandon Clark has been awesome too, but it's it's just because so many of his points just comes off comes off of lobs from Ja, mm-hmm. and I think that was something that we saw last night too. Is he had a couple of those lobs? I mean, he also got the assist that broke the triple double record. Yep. So. Good for Brandon Clark. Uh, but like I said, before we close again, we got to go to Dylan Brooks because I would say Dylan Brooks is probably the most controversial Memphis Grizzly when it comes to Memphis Grizzlies fans. Not even Memphis close. Twitter is not even close. Dylan Brooks is the most controversial Memphis Grizzly. Everybody either thinks Memphis, uh, not Memphis, everybody either thinks Dylan Brooks is the best player ever or he should be cut from the team. Like, and I feels like <laughs> it feels like there's no in between. But I am firmly in the camp that if he continues to play the way he has, I mean, obviously, you're never going to get like a 50% shooting Dylan Brooks. Like, mm-hmm. let's be honest, you're never going to get that. But just the shot, the type of shots that he's taken uh, is just so much better than last season. Because yeah. I feel like last season, there was a lot of times where Dylan would get the ball and you would be like, okay, here we go. But yeah. now it's this year, you have a little bit more confidence that when he gets the ball, he's either going to score or make the right play. Well, like this year when he shoots a three, I'm not closing my eyes. Like I, I actually think it might go in this year. It's um, if he's if he's going to hit five threes in a game, shoot thirty eight to forty percent from three, I'm okay with a few mid ranges that don't make any sense. Like that's fine with me. If you lock down the opposing player and you hit three or four threes, hey man, I can't complain about it too much. Um, I mean the first. My my thing is, I, I always go back and forth on Dylan. Like the first month of the season, I was like, he's got to go. We can't keep him. Get him out of here at the deadline. And now I'm like, all right, he's he's literally an essential, untouchable player. We cannot let him go. He's locking down Shea every every time we play him. Like, it it goes back and forth, and it has for like three or four years now. But I mean, if he's gonna play, he's gonna hit his threes. Then I just got to be satisfied. He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna be back and forth 
He's not going to be great the entire year. He'll have a month where he's terrible again on offense, at least. And then he'll have two months where he's great. And I'll just have to get used to that. And that's just how he is. But um, no, I'm firmly in the he's untouchable camp right now. (laughs) I mean, yeah. And it's it's because the offense is the problem. I never have a problem with Dylan's Oh, no. No. Like, and I think that's the big thing. And that's why I think, like, I'll, I'll admit that sometimes I let some of that stuff slide with Dylan because I'm like, look, he, if, because, because we've seen what it looks like when Dylan isn't on the court. And I think that's the big thing is like, you see him on the court and you might be like, okay, he's taking too many shots. But when you see him when he's not on the court, you see how much the Grizzlies struggle on defense because they don't have another guy. Because you got to think about it. There's not many guys in the NBA like that you can consistently put on the best player on the other team, whether they're a guard or a forward. There's Mm -hmm. not many guys that can do that. Like Dylan Brooks is the type of guy who, if they played the Warriors and the Nets, he would guard Steph Curry and then Kevin Durant. Yep. And there are not many guys in the NBA that can do that. I would say, I don't even know if there's five. I mean, you could go with like somebody like Lou Dort or maybe like OG Ananobi or something like that. But it's, it's, it's a very, specific skill set that not many guys can do there's not a lot of guys that can do it and I think that's one of the reasons why when people bring up the fact that Dylan Brooks should be traded I'm like well who are you going to get that brings his same on defense with better offense yeah and you can't (laughs) yeah and, and it's like and that's and that's where you get to because obviously sometimes the offense is shaky he he's he's not efficient a lot of the time sometimes he takes bad shots but when you look at the value that he has on defense and then I think to the culture, because I think that's the other thing. I mean, he's the only guy who's really been here. Him and Jaron are the only two that played with Mike Conley and uh, Mark Gasol. Like they're the only guys that have any ties to that grit and grind team. And I think that Dylan has a little bit of that same mentality that he got from those guys. I mean, I know he only played with them for a couple years, but I think he's a big reason why. I mean, obviously you can talk about Ja with the chip on his shoulder and stuff like that. I think he's also another reason, but I think yeah. Dylan Brooks is almost like the heart and soul of the team. And I think that's something that people forget about as well. Yeah. I think Dylan really, really looked up to those guys when he, when he played with them. I remember when they would come to visit, he would be the first one over there hugging them, dapping them up, talking to him. Jaron too with Mark. I think they really looked up to those guys and he definitely is um, this, uh, this era is Tony Allen as far as mentality goes. Yeah, for sure. I, I would agree with that. This era is Tony Allen uh, with, I, I guess, I guess be- definitely better that offense. Be better offense, yeah. Yeah, better, just, better the offense. The bar is that, low, but. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but n- not to say his defense is quite on Tony Allen's level, I don't think. I think he might be, you could say he's at times, I don't know. I don't Tony Allen esque. Yeah, go. Tony Allen esque. We'll say that, but that's. That's hard to live up to when you're comparing them to what I mean. Kobe Bryant said he was the best on-ball defender he ever played against, yep. and stuff like that. Uh, and KDS said the same kind of stuff too. So it's like mm-hmm. when you have those two guys saying you're the best defender, it's hard to kind of live up to that. Uh, think, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say I- I'm with you on the right now. He's untouchable. We'll see what happens throughout the season. What happens? This is the last year of his deal. He hasn't signed an extension. So there's going to be some big questions coming up this offseason. But I think that he's played himself into at least they're at least going to they're going to offer him something. Now, whether he gets something from somewhere else, who knows if somebody else is going to offer him more. But I think it is going to be a priority for the Grizzlies to bring him back this offseason. Money is going to be an interesting conversation this offseason because we have. 
You have what the Desmond Bain coming up soon too, right? Yes, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's coming up, and uh, then Dylan Brooks is going to be coming. I think that's why we're we're doing a really good job at drafting a lot of uh, young rookies because we know we can't afford a good bench unless we get rookies. Yeah, no, and I think that's another thing that people aren't thinking about when you have the depth conversation is you got to think about the fact that this is the last year of Ja not making big money. Like after this year, Ja's making thirty plus million every year. Uh, you got to keep in mind that right now Desmond Bain is on the best contract in the NBA. I'll go ahead and say it. He's only making, no, I think, it is. Yeah. Two, $2 million this year. Like, it, there's – I don't even have to look. I don't think there's another 24-point-per-game score in the NBA that's only making $2 million yeah. because, I mean, even guys on their rookie contracts, the guys that are scoring that much were drafted higher and are making more right now. So, it's it's ridiculous. And then this is the first year of Jaren's contract. Big thing about Jaron's contract is it is declining. So this is actually the most money he's going to be making on this contract, which if, I think that's something that's very smart yeah. on the front office's uh, part as, as well. If this is the version of Jaron we're going to get for the rest of his contract, this has an argument to be one of the best value contracts in the league as well. Oh, no. Especially, I mean, if, you, if you're thinking this is the first year, by the time you get to like year four of this, if he can continue to kind of yeah. improve at this rate, I think – it might not even be a question that it's the best contract in the NBA at that point. For sure. Uh, but, yeah, uh, thank you for coming on again, Garrett. Uh, before we go, just make sure you tell the people where they can find you and anything you're going to be doing coming up. Uh, just find me on Twitter, um, at Bernard Jaw. Not really doing a whole lot these days. I'm not as big as Bryson these days anymore. Kind of fell off, you know. <laughs> Man, you can't start that. Nah, p- see, people don't know this. When when we started, When I started the Twitter spaces – uh, I, Garrett was like the first person that was in there with me, so like I I do yeah, got props to that. I I got to give you props to that because I feel like a lot of people don't know that. Uh, but yeah, like I said, thank you for coming on, and thank you to everybody that listened to this episode of the Next Gen Podcast here on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. Make sure to check out, like, and subscribe to all the other podcasts on the podcast network as well, with Cover Four, Starting Five, Grizzly Bear Bets, and GBB Live with Parker Fleming. Uh, So, like I said, thank you for listening. Thank you for coming on, Garrett. And we'll see you all on the next episode.